Well, hello there. I'm I'm Mr. B. Howdy. I'm Lord Marcus. And we are the film dogs. Woof. Woof. We're here to talk about the holdovers and our favorite holiday films. This is a this is a split episode because the holdovers was only just released in Australia. So it's a bit odd watching a holiday film after New Year's. Would you agree? I definitely would agree. Although I would, in this case, definitely say that it extended the holiday feeling out to January the 11th. Agreed. Um, which was kind of nice. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I think I felt more Christmassy today than I have um, in a very long time, since 2013. I, I felt the most Christmassy today watching The Holdovers. Loved I, I really, uh, for the Christmas vibe, I th- thought it really nailed it for me. So we want to talk about that film tonight, but we also want to talk about some of our other favorite holiday films. So we are doing, in part two of the episode, a draft. And for your, those of you that are unfamiliar with what a movie draft is, we engage in Mortal Combat and selecting our favorite films. And um, our idea is that each of us will have a collection of films that will sort of mimic a sports team. And we draft into um, various categories by years, by styles, by genres, and by the, actors, by directors. May the better team win. May the better silverback of the film dogs win. So there Always. is there is a bit of skill to it because we are playing to our hearts, but we are also playing to you guys as well because we want to know who is the better drafter. And uh, so we will be doing a bit of that today. So that's a bit of a bit of fun as well. But uh, first off, the holdovers, which we just got back from viewing, uh, I was highly anticipating this film. I'm not going to lie. Th- there was a lot of buzz around it leading up to its eventual release I, I i was really looking forward to oppenheimer in 2023 that was w- pr- probably one of the most anticipated films for me but then when they announced the holdovers i was like oh great i can't wait for this one i i like a good holiday film and a lot of um news a lot of podcasts as well like people over at the big picture etc um everybody has been talking about this film the holdovers and so it was a bit odd to see that it was not being released in 2023. We got pushed back, it felt like, in Australia. We, did, we didn't get it till January. But starring uh, Paul Giamatti and uh, Divine Joy Randolph uh, and uh, newcomer Dominic Sessa. May I say really quick, and you may disagree, but mm. I would invite our audience to debate. I think that the newcomer Dominic Sessa looks like you. He could be your brother. He looks, I'm not going to disagree. He looks more like you than your actual brother, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Who I would never guess. to get him on the, uh, on the podcast. Hey, Dominic yeah. Sessa is our uh, long-lost <laughs> film dog brother. I really liked him a lot, by the way. I thought that um, he looks... Um, I, 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 would hope to see, I would hope to see him again in the future. And that was a compliment. That was a compliment, by the way. Yeah, the 100%, 100% compliment. He was very comfortable on screen. He is playing arguably the partial co-antagonist like it's it's kind of his story about we famously know whether you have seen a trailer or not about 
Paul Giamatti is a teacher at a prestigious kind of like boarding school for boys in in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, he gets the short straw and has to stay on campus for Christmas and for the students that were held over, that weren't able to go home for families for whatever reason. Uh, And then Dominic Sessa plays kind of one of the main kids he has to look after. I thought he did a a wonderful job. Um, Look, I think that the the buzz leading up to it was well-deserved. Now, I'll I'll say this. um, Being that it's been released on January the 11th, it's already passed (laughs) the Golden Globes. So Paul Giamatti won the Golden Globe for Best Dramatic Actor. Well, and leading up to it, that was kind of a part of the buzz as well behind the film for us wanting to see it was um, Giamatti with Alexander Payne again, who did Sideways, who kind of gave us the best of Giamatti. Yeah teaming up again and there was a lot of talk about this performance and you kind of go a performance for a christmas movie that it was kind of a rare and then even the language behind uh if you've read some of the same stories or even listen to the same things i heard they were talking about the holdovers uh an instant holiday classic maybe one of the best holiday movies of all time and i go that's very hard to do in 2023 is to burn into your brain a instant classic holiday movie. I, um, I'm going to take some time to to really give my final opinion about where it would stand in the pantheon of the all great holiday films. Yes, for, for, yeah. particularly for Christmas films, it does have that potential. I certainly think, uh, for me, that the script is probably like the best script of a holiday movie. Like it was so well written. Mm. I think that. Uh, I don't know the particular buzz about what it's going to be getting for a screenplay, but I thought um, it was, for me, it, it was so well written. The dialogue was phenomenal. Like yes. I, that, was, that was my thing. Um, Paul Giamatti's character is a professor of um, English or history. Well, yeah, I don't really know. Like ancient history. Yeah, so they... uh, They they play with that title kind of throughout the movie because it kind of seems like he teaches history, but he has to keep correcting people. So I think it's funny that even we're like, what's he teach? (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, like, obviously he was um, very articulate. And then, therefore, you kind of thought maybe he was a professor of English, um, which I was really impressed with the language that was used uh, throughout the entire film. Um, Like my, I think... The peak thing for me was the dialogue and the script. Yeah. But Paul definitely gave a powerhouse performance. Let's oh, talk about yeah. those eyes. Yeah. I I, I don't I, know how he did that. I'd neither do I. And now I I, I don't want to live Google, but I wondered if he, they, it, yeah. Did he do it or did he have a, uh, a prosthetic? A prosthetic? Did, I don't yeah, know. Did they like, do because, it? like, one, like, some, I don't, I don't think that it could have been a prosthetic. So, Paul Giamatti had this, uh, he has this condition where one of his eyes is sort of askew. And then it seems like sometimes when the, the askew eye, you don't know which one you're supposed to be. You don't know which eye is looking at you. You know, <laughs> yeah. is it yeah. the askew eye is looking at you? Or is he actually looking off to the left? Yeah. It was so wonderful. Um, and just the, uh, the absurdity of, of life's pitfalls that have just uh, trapped this man for his entire life. And at the end of the film, it's not any better. Well, so maybe let's talk more about the 
a brief synopsis without giving away too yeah, much. Yeah, totally. And kind of, I guess, maybe unpack the film. I mean, because we're jumping into characters, but so what? What? What is the holdovers to you? Like, what is kind of the story? Well, look, I, I, um, I think there's about seven total different stories going on, kind of like Love Actually, but it's condensed into one narrative instead of splitting into multiple narratives. Yeah. So you have a, a group of misfits and um, Visigoths, as he calls them, uh, you know, yeah, like geez. all of the retributes and all of the uh, names uh, that he calls. The oh, kids, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, Like it was so well written. Uh, so Paul Giamatti's character uh, has to uh, he draws the short straw and has to stay behind at the boarding school while everyone that uh, wasn't able to go home to see their parents or get picked up stays there. And hijinks ensue mm. and some of the kids end up um actually getting to leave the campus so it's really the story between paul giamatta and dominic's character yeah angus and the head of the cafeteria um played yeah. by divine joy, divine randolph. joy randolph who yeah. won mary the, lamb won the best supporting actress for a dramatic role yeah which, Which is interesting, and I'd like to—I—I I would like to have a few notes about that a little bit later. She was mm, wonderful. She was. I was secretly like I really—I didn't know if they were going to end up making it kind of a romantic thing between them. I was yeah. kind, like part of me was really kind of hoping that it would, and then part of me was like, mm, no, I think that would not be true to the story. But there, there mm -hmm. was definitely like a good chemistry between them. There was a good chemistry of kind of all the characters on stage because i feel like the hard thing to kind of cast these kind of movies is uh it's set in a school and kids that are left over so who are the kids that are left over can they act do they give good performances do you agree that yeah i've met that kid before in school yeah th that whole sort of thing they they cast it well around giamatti and lamb and i want to know how they found dominic because he 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 nails it i really liked him a lot I think for the for the opening ten to fifteen minutes, there was something about it that really reminded me of Dead Poet Society. Yeah, in that sense that you have a a group of boarding school kids that yeah. have, um, obviously, and and the boarding school tends to be rich kids. Dead Correct. Poet Society was a boarding school full of rich kids. Yeah, and this is set of a time frame as well. Yeah, totally. The nostalgia it, of the late sixties, early seventies. It had that vibe. Like the the first ten fifteen minutes really had that vibe. Now, as far as what the story goes, I think that the the real story happens after um, Angus and uh, the professor and Mary Lamb, who had lost her son recently, and the and the film kind of opens up at the funeral for her son, who was a, an attendee at this at this boarding school. Then you start digging into Paul's character, you start digging into Dominic's character, and you start digging into Divine's character. And then that gives a peek into, you know, like life in this, what, New England, like a New England town that's kind of near Boston. And, yeah. It, uh, it paints the typical small town Christmas. But, but it's really three different stories. Yeah. Like it, it's all three, all three of these characters are like, it is their story. It's a, it's a trilogy of, of protagonists, antagonists. Mm -hmm. uh, all of them sort of play the, well, particularly Ball and Dominic sort of uh, play off each other. Sometimes one is the bad guy and one's the good guy and then vice versa. Um, extremely clever film, extremely well-written. I really liked it a lot. I really loved the 
the acting performances from the the main trio. Mm. But everybody did a really good, serviceable job. Um, I feel yeah. like I would kind of classify this more as a dramedy. For sure. Like, there was funny moments. Yeah, they... And, and that's kind of one of the things kind of going into it. Even if you watch the trailer to it, it feels like they're setting it up to be more of a comedy than it actually is. So if you are kind of going into it thinking it's going to be a funny Christmas film, it's it's not that. Um, it was touching. It, it's it's touching. That's what it is. It, it is going into the story of, uh, f- like for me, it's going into the story of how each individual person kind of views Christmas differently. And, and I mean, it goes back to saying is, uh, you know, be kind to people because you never know what's happening in their world. So, and that, and that's the whole point of, we don't really know a lot about Dominic's character, Angus. We just know that he's famously gets kicked out of boarding schools and her mom, his, his mom keeps sending him to new schools and she's got a new husband and, uh, you know, wants to kind of forget the, the, the past. So he's kind of stuck on his own, trying to find his own way and, and getting into trouble. And then you've got Paul Giamatti's character who uh, is, incredibly intelligent and you know this kind of tenured teacher at this prestigious but it is a still smaller boarding school uh who we know is has gone to harvard and everything's super smart and we kind of wonder why he's in this position and they really set up his character as he lives eats breathes this school and doesn't really have a life outside of it lives on campus and just goes to town to kind of get his basic needs but he loves the school and he loves teaching his ancient history. And then we've got uh, Mary, uh, which is divine, her character of a mother who's just lost her son for, and this is kind of their first holiday without him. And same thing is her son has been in that school. So she has memories in that school and we're pulling the story of these three individual characters, but how they handle the holiday and how handle how they handle it separately and how they handle it together. And it is, it is a beautiful touching story. Um, Alexander Payne did a, a great job. It, it, have you, have you watched many of his other films? I first came to Alexander Payne through the film election. Really? With Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. Okay. It wasn't my first Reese Witherspoon. Uh, it wasn't my first Reese Witherspoon film. Okay, yeah. So when I watched it the first time, um, I was sort of taken aback at uh, this sort of R-rated version of Reese. It was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was really taken aback. Um, I enjoyed it. I think mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed it because it was it was kind of a naughty film, and Matthew Broderick didn't do naughty films, and yeah. Reese Witherspoon didn't do. Like, it was yeah. just sort of a surprise. Uh, but th- like. I really, really loved Sideways. Yes, that was a. Uh, I, I feel bad because I only came to that movie recently, and I was always aware of it. And I love wine, but um, yep, that is. Uh, I always knew that is an instant Alexander Payne number one film that people love and made people aware of um, Paul Giamatti. It did. <laughs> it, it definitely put him on the map. Yeah, and I think that. I, I would say if I was Paul, I'd be sending cases of goodies to Alexander Payne every single year for for casting him. And I mean, so the holdovers, if you're looking at kind of Payne's filmography, because also about Schmidt, the descendants uh, downsizing. 
it feels like an Alexander Payne film if you've watched any of his films with how he kind of does his his screenplays and how he he does develop story and and mainly people and characters. Um, have you have you seen The Descendants? I've not seen yeah. The Descendants. The it, only film, the only Payne films I've seen have been Election and Sideways. Okay, so I'm not overly familiar. I will say this: that one of the things that maybe. I don't know the right words to, to really say that there's a turnoff about The Descendants or about Schmidt or, or some of yeah. his other films. They've just not really attracted me, maybe because of the trailers, maybe because of the poster, maybe because of the actors, or maybe just where I was at in my life. Certainly is not a reflection of what I think about Sideways, which I think is a tremendously wonderful film. Um, and I don't really know for sure that I would say that Holdovers would take over, but it could yeah. on the strength of the screenplay. So I want to read a little bit more about how involved he was in the writing process, because I think this is one of the best written. Um, I've definitely, as far as screenplays goes, this is one of the better ones of the year. And I would say, in my opinion, that mm. there's been some buzz about, like, is this going to be the thing that competes with Oppenheimer? And I didn't really feel that it's the kind. And look, I'm 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 not a huge fan of Oppenheimer. Um, I don't, <laughs> yeah. but I don't think that. Uh, yeah, you go, go on the record saying that you've said I, that before. I don't hate it. I I, I like I, I liked Oppenheimer. I liked this film. I'm not sure that I would say that it's a better film to win Best Picture of the Year. Mm. But I definitely would consider um, casting my vote for for screenplay. Um, depending on who the other noms are and, and whatever award show that we're, we're speaking of. Um, Paul Giamatti, definitely yep. deserving. I think the divine. Well, okay. I, I'd like to know then if we're talking about pitting it up against Oppenheimer. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Paul Giamatti versus uh, Killian's performance. I would personally pick Paul Giamatti, but yeah. I will say this. Okay. I have been kind of anti- Murphy for like the last six months. Yeah. And after he accepted that Golden Globe award, he he won me over. Okay. I, I've I've always liked him. Is he I did think that his Lord performance Marcus is back. He he didn't have the I don't think he had the strongest acting performance, but I really I like I liked his acceptance of the award. And it kind of warmed me over because he wasn't pretentious about it and he wasn't arrogant about it. In yeah. fact, he was wonderfully um full of humility and graciousness and he loves his wife and I, and I like him in, in certain roles. Um, and I just didn't happen to think this was the best acting performance of the year, but his grace and humility was just, what a gentleman. I really, I, I, he turned me around with his acceptance speech um, at the golden globes. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that Paul Giamatti had the stronger acting performance. Interesting. I would also say that for the supporting actress, <laughs> uh, which there was not a nominee. We'll talk about this on a different episode. Yep. I, uh, God bless Divine. Um, and this is not to take away from her at all. She mm -hmm. gave uh, she gave this nice, powerful performance that was understated. And much like Lily Gladstone, um, where it wasn't this over the top, intense performance. It was just understated, and she just brought this calming presence um, yep. to this maelstrom. But it wasn't for me as good as Penelope Cruz and Ferrari. Yeah, she was great. And for me, that uh, so like what I'm looking for was something you know like this intense. Like it, that's just the difference. It's the difference between Emma Stone, yep. and Lily Gladstone. 
this is the divi- this is divine and Penelope Cruz. It's kind of like almost the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. The super passionate, dynamic performance that's covering a whole range of emotions versus just an understated, very well played, graceful performance. And um, yeah, look, I, I think that she was really wonderful in it. And I've never seen her in anything, and I've never heard of her until the Golden Globes, really, because that came out before this movie was released. Yep. For, for us and I like I, I enjoyed it I but I really really loved Paul Giamatti and I really really loved uh the newcomer Dominic well I famously like holiday films which we'll talk about more in part two uh, in the draft because mm-hmm. you would have to pit this up against maybe some of those that we drafted and I was kind of wondering when I was watching this film even the lead up to it, if it could knock any of them out or what kind of memories this would bring up towards Christmas or the nostalgia of it. And it is like, I, I, I thought it was a, a touching film. Um, I thought the performances were great. Like Giamatti, that is, that's probably my favorite performance from him. Uh, I, li- I did like sideways. I, I don't like it as much as everybody else does. Uh, famously. Uh, but I do I do like him in that movie. But that's but largely is, that's largely because of the issues of infidelity. Yes. Yeah, it was just like the the moral side of it. Right. Yeah. And and even okay, so we can even go into here on this film is one thing that kind of threw me off is because I also want to go like I want to I want to buy that this happened. This is the kind of movie that is. Did this story happen or could it have happened? And 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 is the the telling of it in that era correct? I found uh, the amount of kind of like heavy cursing in it almost pulled me out a bit because I don't think if we're being nitpicks, which I think we should on when we're reviewing films, I don't think a boarding school in where that's located, (laughs) uh, that they necessarily would have talked that way openly to each other. Interesting. I I did not find... In the, in the in the in the in especially in like the seventies, uh, it ends I think at seventy one, is, is the, the I think the kind of last date that we get in New Year's possibly. So you think that boarding school teenage boys between it, fourteen it, and eighteen and nineteen? It wasn't that. It was more of um, uh, Giamatti's character and Divine and kind of all the adults. I was I was kind of surprised at the language that they used. Well, they didn't with, use a lot of profanity. They did. You have to. You'd have to kind of go back and and listen to it because I because even Divine had a lot where I was kind of going. I just don't think that that would happen. <laughs> I uh, yeah, that might be worth uh, paying attention to on a second watch. And I definitely, um, I definitely would watch it again. That was just a next slight. Nit, that was just a slight nitpick. I don't think other people would mind, but I, I, I I'm going. Um, in the main reasons I go, family Christmas is, is I going, is this a family Christmas film? That's going to be your instant classic for the whole family to watch. I don't think it is. And it's mainly because if you're watching the trailer, you think you might be walking into a comedy. And if you like Christmas comedies, then, uh, you're going to be let down with this. It, or even if you like, uh, you're going into it. I feel like a lot of people really want an uplifting kind of all the way through, a Hallmark kind of Christmas film 
famously bad screenplays. So we go, okay, what if this was like a Hallmark film with a good screenplay? It's not that either, to be honest. No, it's its own thing. And, and um, you kind of know if you, having seen other Alexander Payne films, it is giving a, it is more of a, more of a story kind of like the descendants. It's, it's kind of a, a bummer of a, of a background story. These are where he's, we're focusing on kind of the, the losers, they the, are the, the lowers and the people that are kind of left over. And if you're wondering how their lives have gone and how they're going in this movie, they're not that great. But they're still rich and interesting, and yeah. they, they probably represent society so much better than what other holiday films do. Yes. I thought it was powerful in that sense. And then, you know, to, to even consider, I think it's so maybe possibly easy to just forget about all the people during the holidays that yeah. have no one at all. Yeah. And don't have reason to celebrate and don't have any belief or any kind of joy to ascend themselves to. So, yeah. So this is this is this is the kind of film that I I think is a beautiful telling of literal Christmases that people would have. But if you're going to this film thinking you're going to get a really funny Christmas classic, you're probably not going to get that. But if you're going, uh, I kind of need a bit a bit more meat <laughs> to the movies I'm watching, or I kind of want to have some wonderful dialogue, or I'm okay with a drama. Because this is leans heavily more towards drama than it does comedy. Oh yeah, but there, definitely. But I would. The, I, the it, writing is so well that you can. I I will call it a comedy as well because there's so many one-liners and just Giamatti is thinking just so fast, and that's the way his character reacts. So the the amount of lines that he goes uh, just throws in some sort of new. Um, knock on the school children or you know, with the other teachers. It is, it is very witty writing. I'll say this. Um, it'd be sort of my closing thought that I favor, uh, I compare it favorably to dead poet society. Mm. And when dead poet society came out, I was 16 years old and it spoke heavily to me. And I think that maybe this could, this is the kind of film that maybe for people that are coming of age in that 16, 17, 18 range, I think it would speak very closely to them from the youth's characters. And then Paul Giamatti. Yep. Um, his character is, is sort of more for the adult me and for, for the adults that are watching it. You, you <laughs> yeah. sort of sympathize with his character, who's sort of a born loser, um, but has a high moral code. And extremely intelligent, extremely well written. Um, yeah, I agree. Like for me, I, I I feel like this is more my kind of holiday film. It is one hundred percent a Lord Marcus lean, mean holiday machine. Totally. You know, like <laughs> it's not a bunch of people being festive and celebrating family. It's sort of like the antithesis of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, for that reason, yeah. like uh, I I would, um, when it comes time, if, if I can. Get this onto my onto my <laughs> holiday film team. I, I'd definitely be happy to take it. I think my my overall take. Uh, I'm leaning about a, at a four star right now. Yeah, same. I'm I'm exactly sitting at four. The the soundtrack is was very <laughs> yeah, was good. good. Yeah, it was really good. It is it is shot like it's meant to fit in the '60s and '70s. So even the kind of the film stock and the color grading and um, but the music matched very well, so well that I go. The, the way that I felt watching it, I going, oh, man, I need to listen to that soundtrack during my next Christmas because it was, uh, yeah, 
If you if you'd never very, watched the seven if you'd never watched the seventies film before, you might think that this was a movie from the seventies because it yeah. really like it felt lived in. The, the car was from the seventies. The clothing was from the seventies. The dialogue was kind of from the seventies, minus a little bit of profanity. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I really felt like this was a seventies film, but obviously shot with modern techniques. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it, and I think it it's got room. It's got a lot of room to grow for me over the years if it's going to be considered a holiday film. And during the holidays, we tend to start rewatching and revisiting those classic holiday films. Mm. This could easily make it into uh, my top ten for holiday films. Easily. So, this do you reckon this will make your yearly rewatch around the holidays? I think it will. Yeah, yeah. Look, I liked it a lot. I think I think so as well. For me, I think it will make it on my list. You got to find the right slot for it because it is, um, like I said, it isn't the more chipper, cheerful. Uh, holiday film that you might be used to, but it it makes you think about maybe the best Christmases you had. It makes you think of the worst Christmases you've had, and it, it embodies those very well. So it's not even the thoughts of nostalgia, but it does. It kind of even there's nods to uh, of thinking about people in a lesser state or a worser state off to to where we are they they make references into the in the school chapel about it and the you know having their um chapel service um yeah it 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 really brought memories from the holidays and of growing up and i think it will do that for most people regardless of maybe when you were raised cuz i'm not a uh, i'm not a 60s kid I'm going to enjoy comparing photos of Mr. B and Dominic Sessa. <laughs> Dominic and, Sessa. And maybe exploring some genealogy he, trees. He has darker hair than me, but um, uh, outside of that, baby pictures, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see those. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I think there's relation. But go see The Holdovers. And go see it, for sure. It's it's uh, it's worth seeing in the theater, for sure. It's, and, it was and a good congratulations time. to Paul Giamatti and, Congrat- and, big congratulations. and to Divine as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, and great, great speeches uh, as well at the Golden Globes. And interested to see what happens with uh, any Academy Award nominations if this is going to go up for any. But um, great film. Go see it in theaters if it's still in theaters with you. If not, add it to your Christmas watch list. And uh, let's jump into part two where we draft some of our favorite holiday classics. Uh, I'm, I am not. Are you a Grinch, miss? I think that a lot of people would definitely describe me as a Grinch, and that wouldn't be far off the mark, but I think that... I knew it. It would be incredibly unfair <laughs> to try to uh, figure out what the ingredients are f- for that, because it's, it's not really... Look, I, I love the memories of Christmas as a child. Um, my problem with Christmas is probably what a lot of people have a problem with. It is uh, over-commercialized. It's uh, worshipped, and it drives a lot of challenging behavior in society, and it's sort of economy-driven, and it's how you prove your love to loved ones and there's just this enormous amount of pressure that's associated with Christmas like I I, I am not it doesn't fill me with joy I uh, totally respect 
the people that it does bring heaps of joy to. I'm just not in there. Like my idea of a good Christmas is being by myself out in the wilderness somewhere. And um, so, yeah, but, and I guess at, at some point, yeah, I probably would definitely be willing to steal a kid's bicycle to watch them cry. <laughs> I could, I could see you doing that but the problem is is I'd be like Mark Daisy wants her bike back yeah. <laughs> hey you know like uh, in, in all honesty the third film dog Lord Huxley um, I love celebrating Christmas with like my yeah, this is my idea of a good Christmas is um, being alone with my wife and my dog and uh, going for a walk on the beach what did Hux get you for Christmas last year um, he gave me heartburn <laughs> heart heartburn yeah. how did he feed you you know um it's kind of like the the myth of the cat's breath um and i'll let your imagination take you the rest of the way dear god dear have god. mercy on us we are drafting I shall, I shall have mercy on you we are drafting christmas films today and this is uh on the spot we knew we were going to talk about christmas so we pressed record and we decided it would be a, a draft before we pressed record. But we are going to draft five Christmas films of any era, of any time. And they have to be considered Christmas films. We're, we're being, we're happy, we're open to being artsy on Christmas, but, but we're not drafting films that just have a Christmas scene on it. Like you said, serendipity. Yeah, the, the purpose of the film is not Christmas or celebrating Christmas or giving an alternative take on Christmas or bashing Christmas. We're not it, Christmas bashing on it, this show. It's just a uh, it's just a day. If it's a film where Christmas is just a day, any other day, um, that's not uh, what we're going to be drafting tonight. So with that said, let's determine the draft order. I am holding a number of fingers underneath of the table. All you need to do is guess whether it's an odd or an even number. If you guess correctly, do you trust me? If you guess correctly, you get to go first. If you guess incorrectly, I get to go first. I feel like I'm in a Tarantino film, but I will choose or, odd. Or, or Cohen. Uh, like, what if you? What if we had you flip a coin? What am I flipping for? Yeah, you, yeah. You just need to flip. My brain first went to the first. Did you say four? I said... I didn't say a number. I said ah. I said odd. I thought oh you said odd odd correctly. You get to go first because because we're odd. I knew you'd choose an odd number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. All right. So which means I get to pick first. Now I we're get gonna to pick first. Uh, we should always uh, lead off a, a draft by saying that uh, if. If there's two of us, it will not be a snake draft. If yeah, it correct. Is, if it is more than I was just uh, going to say people, that, then it will be a snake draft. Yeah, it adds interest to it. But a snake draft with two people is just too a little too much. A snake draft means you want to be number two, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is why be number two. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am going to choose. I've decided uh, this is going to be on heart. Uh, it's not going to be by popularity. It's not going to be by trying to piss you off, Lord Marcus. It's going to be just by my heart of what I want to watch every Christmas, what I want my family to understand. Can I, can I think I, Christmas Can I try is. to guess what it is? Can I guess what your draft pick is going to be? What my first one is? Yeah. Can I guess? 
Um, yes, you can guess. Christmas Vacation. Correct. Yeah, Christmas Vacation. Uh, for me, I grew up with that film. Uh, you know, conservative religious background. This is a... Uh, a uh, it's Chevy Chase in the 90s, so that's enough to let you know what it is. It's a raunchier Christmas film, in in a way, but for some reason, it was a family favorite. We were always allowed to watch it. The only thing we always had to fast forward to was the department store scene where uh, he, as a married man, is hitting on uh, the girl behind the jewelry counter. <laughs> And then he has a, a scene which they do in every vacation film where he always daydreams and he always daydreams either the girl in the Ferrari or the girl in the pool or the yeah, all the different things. And this and this time there's a girl in the pool and she's about to throw her swimsuit away and the camera cuts. But there were the, there were those two famous scenes that as like you're allowed to watch this film, but there's two scenes you can't watch. We gotta fast forward them. And that was fine. Uh, I, and we knew when the scene started what was happening, so I at least knew what I was being fast forward through. But we weren't allowed to watch it. But even as a kid, those are my fa- most favorite memories: are quoting that movie and thinking about just the ridiculousness that Clark Griswold is as a father on Christmas as a host. Awesome. Um, I'm curious where you stand on the other vacation movies. Um, do you enjoy le- the, lesser do, do, than lesser than so that's your favorite you, of the you would movies. probably not find me drafting them unless uh, Chevy Chase came up in the draft somehow yeah like a favorite uh, ranking Chevy Chase or drafting yeah because I wouldn't even under comedies if you had to do Christmas comedy which is great maybe I'm giving away my chips for a later uh, podcast okay. but if we did a draft that had to include um top comedies and one of them had to be Christmas is the one I would probably a hundred percent draft that one. Right. Cool. Yeah. All right. So now I'm on the board. Yeah. Do I go with my heart or do I go with, because I, there is only a very limited number of Christmas films that I enjoy. I did say off mic earlier that the film that you want, you can have. I just don't know. That you know what that is. I know what it is. I, I promise. I just don't think you do. Do you want me? Should I? Um, do you want? Do you want me to whisper it? No. No. Uh, I, no. I, I, well, if if you're gonna let me have <laughs> it, then it's not gonna. I might as well pick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I might as well just pick as I want. But that's why I'm saying you should pick where you want because um, be, because I won't pick it next. So at least choose something else that you like. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go with love. Actually, I was wrong. I assume that was your number one that you were hoping uh, that you would be able to get and not. Um, I think I be feel like off at me and I feel destroy like, our friendship over it. I feel like maybe it's one that would fit into something. I, I you I think you'd like the genre a bit more than I do, but I think it's the own ish. No, I guess there's another. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, if you're gonna let, well, it's good. If that's not the one, and you're gonna let me have the other one, then it's all good. Yeah, that's interesting because that was the one I was going to let you have. So now I wonder what you think I'm. Now, yeah. All right. So, yeah. um my my first pick, uh, Love Actually. Love Actually. And good I, good I, film. I picked that um, on behalf of my wife, um, who adores this film and makes me watch it every year. You know what I've not figured out is if when I watch it, 
it's for me or for my wife? It's because we've not really discussed it. For me, it is definitely for my wife, but it's one of those films that now, like after watching it 14 times, um, at least, I find, uh, you know, so like when Bill Nye's uh, singing, I feel it in my fingers. Oh, yeah. I, I, like I start, like I hear that in my dream. I hear that in my dream. Dude, I hear that song in general. Yeah, like totally. Um, like it's. After you see any film that number of times, if, especially if you're doing it for love. Now, I will say this, that like every time I watch it, I definitely roll my eyes at some point during this film. <laughs> it's got a lot of moments that are just not scripted well. I haven't aged well. Um, we're never good to begin with or have just aged poorly, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's a it's beautiful mess. It's always I, I, been a film with questionable morals. Yeah. Totally. And it's classified as a christmas film so i always find it interesting the morals of the film it's also british christmas though so and i think that um that's not to be insulting or uh at, at all <laughs> it's I, a I, bit I, insulting i love the i love the brits i think it just it sort of highlights that in in britain that maybe they're still sour about the american revolution who knows what is causing them to have so much disharmony with the beautiful universe but their films tend to be a little bit darker. Their music tends to be a little bit darker. Their books tend to be a little bit darker. They're a little bit more of a dry humor. I love English humor more than any other kind of humor. Like Monty Python is my favorite comedy style of all time, unless it's super black comedy like David Lynch or Terry Gilliam, um, which is just funny. I, I find it funny. It might not be intended to be funny what they do, but I kind of think that it is. Anyway, um, I love British humor, and I think that's where this comes in. Like, it's so different to an American Christmas movie, except for maybe like a Chevy Chase, but it's got, like, it does have that dangerous side to it, and it is more about Christmas as, it examines Christmas from so many different perspectives. You know, it's got the family perspective, it's got the the young couple in love, it's got the the movie actors, uh, <laughs> you know, it's got the politician. Yeah. Uh, it just has, all, it's like, it's examining all these angles. It, it, it is interweaved very beautifully how they have these multiple narratives. Um, the cinephiles actually did a really great episode on it. And I thought that it was interesting that the way that they decided to talk about it was break it down into seven short stories that don't play uh, intermixed with each other. So you just have chapter one is the Hugh Grant story and chapter two. Yep. Uh, and I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I enjoy the decision they made to keep it all uh, as it was in sort of a Pulp Fiction style where it's a mashup where you're kind of going back and forth in time just a little bit. Um, so the directing of it I thought was really excellent. Um, I'm very happy to have Love Actually on my Christmas draft. And um, this one's for you, baby. Love you. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And for me, number two, which I'm not too upset I didn't get Love Actually. Uh, number two, because you drafted Love Actually, and I um, I thought that the one that was going to be one you'd take later, I'm going to have to draft what I think you'll take. Uh, otherwise, I won't get it. Um, but it would be a bit lower on my list, and that would be The Holiday. Was that on your list? I am not going to reveal if it was on my list. Okay. Because I don't want to lose my next four picks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't, on, it wasn't on my list. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, it it might I, have been, but yeah. this came back to the point where I think it could be argued that it's not really a Christmas film. Like, it is and it isn't because it just 
the breadth of the story goes way much further than Christmas. Yeah. I thought that it was sort of questionable. I definitely, I if we were doing seven, I would have tried to squeeze that in there for yeah, sure. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I, I love, uh, again, a Nicole movie, and I've seen it 14 times. And um, I am a fan. I am a fan of it. I like that it's a whimsical film. I love films that are have a, a little bit of whimsy in it, and that that does that for for me. All of the characters all have a little bit of they're, they're just a bit bumbling or whimsical or airy fairy. So it kind of just lends itself to you knowing that you're watching a film. This is a film. This is not real life. This would not happen in real life. And the house that they use in England, like that whole, her pulling in there, the driveway yeah. and the lane, yeah. and they go down to the pub. Uh, yeah, look, it, it's a very enjoyable movie. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy these films would not make it in my, like, uh, maybe even my top 100 of all time. Yeah. But I've probably seen them more than any other film. Yeah, because we're, like, it's, like, required watching every year. Whereas some films we're not so religious about uh, because they, these ones carry a tone. You can only watch them one, one time a year, so you've got to watch it then. Okay. My number two pick. Also going with the heart. Scrooged. Interesting. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure if I've seen it from start to finish. Holy moly. But it's a good reminder that I will watch it this Christmas. I'll actually add it to my letterbox now. My goodness. I am... Reminding myself that this is a Christmas episode and I should not be grinchy. But I'm Mark, very... Mark, you'd be grinchy on every episode. I am... Um, I am in awe. Shock and awe. That you've not seen Scrooge. I thought you were like a huge Bill Murray dude. I am a huge Bill Murray dude. Right on. This is uh, uh, you know? this. Uh, if, if we were drafting Bill Murray, this would be. I would. Uh, if, if we were drafting Bill Murray, I would do the research and watch Scrooge. Yeah, totally. but it's just never come up to right. have watched it. Here's why: nobody in my family has watched it that I'm aware of. Yeah. So nobody has influenced me to watch it. The only reason gotcha. I would watch it is because Bill Murray's in it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I would definitely have to. I would definitely would watch it, and I will watch it because I'm reminded of it. It's so good. Christmas is upon us. It is uh, an excellent Christmas movie. It's an excellent Bill Murray movie. I am super stoked to have it on my team. Well, for because of that as well, um, I'm going to have to choose what I think you would choose as well. I've been wrong and you've been wrong every step of the way. So this is turning out to be an interesting draft. Um, I'm going to choose Elf. I'm imagining that's what you thought that I was going to draft first and you were going to let me have it. No, 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 no. I, I 100% assumed that you wanted and needed love actually. Oh, right on. Cool. Uh, I think maybe I had read a review of yours or I saw your rating on it something recently. I don't know. Something influenced me to go that you watched that film and you watched it because of Nicole. So I knew that information. And because of that, I definitely thought you'd draft it. Yeah. Right on. Uh, I did have elf on my list, which is going to put me into deep doo doo. Which, which is funny because did you think that it, I would have drafted it earlier? 
as a need to have. I thought that you thought that that uh, was going to be one that I really wanted and that you were going to sort of mm. um, not take. Because uh, for millennials, it feels like it's a must-have Christmas film. But yeah. for me, no. Uh, um, I need to have Christmas Vacation. I need to have it. Take it. Um, I'm sorry, I like, don't need to have Elf. I also don't. I love Elf. Elf. Yeah. I don't need to have it like I need to have Christmas Vacation and Cousin Eddie. I need Cousin Eddie in my life. Right. I can take it. You know? Um, you won't ever have to put the franchise tag on Christmas Vacation. I won't ever try to steal it. I won't ever try to buy it away from you. Ever. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, Elf's off the board for me, which means I'm going to have to do a little bit of on-the-fly research. A swap a rooney um, I think I'm going to have to go... Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Excellent. The claymation. Yes. Um, Stop animation. What's the, when was it made? Is it the 50s? Uh, I grew up watching these as well. My parents grew up watching them. It's a very nostalgic thing. I own them um, because they're not always on streaming. Uh, so I had to buy them because I needed to have them. I just need to have them. 1964. Okay. So they were 60s. Okay. I grew up with this. It's very nostalgic. Yeah. Did but, you own them or anything, or did you always just wait for it to come on like CBS every year? Yeah, look, so um, growing up, I, I don't think my family had um, a VCR until 1982, 1983. So, for, uh, you know, up until 10 years old, um, I just would have had to watch it, you know, whenever the networks decided to show it. But it was that and um, maybe possibly one that I'm going to have to think about taking again. Um, yeah, we, like, you knew that it was that time of the year. It signified that it was Christmas. You, like, it's like, oh, my goodness, we're going to my mom's and we're going to watch Rudolph, which means that it's only two days away from Christmas and there's snow on the ground because we had white Christmas. Man, like I just have such great memories of watching that film. And like, So if there's the nostalgia base. I also love stop animation. And this movie is probably one of the reasons that I love stop animation. It was definitely absolutely my first introduction to it. Um, like it still holds up. It speaks of its time. I think I would, it's friendly for anybody to watch. I think adults that have seen it will feel the nostalgia. People that haven't seen it would be able to enjoy it with their children. Children would be in awe. The songs are great. The, like just everything about it's really good. Yeah, thank you for not drafting it. That was one I really um, I wanted, but it, uh, you know, like yeah. it, it was more the child in me wanted it more than anything. And thank you for letting my child uh, be happy. Well, this is where at Christmas, young Mark. If we were drafting even seven top seven or top ten, I would I would have you know had to have this one uh, more than uh, Frosty, which maybe I just showed my cards, but I'm. Um, yeah, I think out of those great films, great Christmas films, I could only ever draft one claymation film, though. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so that brings me to my number four. Number four, which I'm wondering. No, I'll just draft this one because I know. You'll, I know you'll never take my number five. You, that you'll never take my number five. You'll you hate it. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to draft a Christmas story. Right on. 
Have you seen this film? I have. I've seen it many times. Did you grow up with it or have a relationship with it? Not as much as Rudolph, but definitely. See, the thing was, where I grew up, we had three network television uh, yeah. uh, available to us. We had CBS, we had yeah. ABC, and we had PBS. We didn't get ABC until I was almost 10. Yeah, th- th- that's my same childhood. And this movie was uh, not on the channels that I got at my house. And so I mostly learned about it from all of the rich kids that got all of the extra services, which really was just NBC. But they had yeah. they had ABC growing up, but the, uh, NBC showed so many of these things. Um, yeah, so I missed out on a Christmas story until maybe I was a teenager, uh, like or definitely early, early adolescence to you know sort of ten, eleven age probably before I first saw it. Mm. But then when I was in the Marines, it was kind of at Christmas time. It was the it was a show that was just always on in the barracks and we had, you know, everybody was dirt poor. Yeah. We couldn't afford to do anything. So whatever was free in the lounge and uh, <laughs> <laughs> scraping up tobacco off the ground and watch a uh, Christmas story. Yeah. I, um, this was always on a 24 hour loop on TNT growing up, which turned into, I, I forget who they sold. I think somebody else bought them or they changed their name or maybe they merged with, uh, TBS, right? On. But every Christmas, every Christmas they would have that playing on a twenty-four hour loop. So Christmas Day was a Christmas story. So my relationship with that film was with the Christmas uh, gathering. Sometimes we were with my extended family, and if we were, that was on in the background. And if we were home, that was on in the background. It was the soundtrack to the day. Right on. Um, and then we, when we were a bit older, if there were other channels or we were with other family members that had more channels, if there were other movies on, like Christmas Vacation, like I said, we would definitely watch that. <laughs> Same with Elf, definitely would watch that. But Christmas, uh, A Christmas Story definitely was my probably peak childhood Christmas uh, movie. You know what I find interesting? <laughs> no, I'll save this for... Uh, I, I have a... I love the, the wrestling, the wrestling of paper in the background because an interesting because Lord Marcus is analog. I am very analog. Um, I love pa- I love paper. I love killing trees, suckers, suckers. Um, okay, my number four is mm. going to be not only a film but a vinyl record. By the yes, great Vince Garaldi trio. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, a, Char- a, Char- a Charlie Brown Christmas. That's where. That's why we needed uh, to do ten films or seven films. Um, we'll talk about them both. But I was gonna mine. Uh, my number five was the Polar Express, which I knew you would never draft because right. you're not a Tom Hanks guy. Yeah. Um, but but same like Charlie Brown Christmas. And a Christmas story, or probably the biggest, and and the same Rudolph. Those were the three that would always come on CBS for us. So I always watched those. um, The the thing about, uh, uh, I'll let you talk about the Polar Express, but the thing about Charlie Brown Christmas too, to this day. Oh, that helped. Not only to to me, but I think to so many people, maybe particularly to Americans that would have been exposed to this, is when you see a little ronk-a-donk, 
tree that's got no <laughs> needles <laughs> on it. Like you, yeah, like it's like that's Charlie Brown. Charlie tree. Brown tree. Uh, get get that thing an ornament real quick. Uh, it's just man, it's magical. It can make you tear up. It's just like the nostalgia it of it. But then, like, here's the thing. Here's what elevates it. The soundtrack is so good. Uh, Vince Guaraldi trio. It's like if you are any kind of fan of music, piano music, jazz music, any kind of music soundtracks. Man, this is like uh, this is my favorite Christmas album of all time. I'd pick it over Ben like of for all me, time. Charlie Bound Christmas album for me is the number yep. one Christmas album of all time, bar none. There's not even a close number two. Uh, Kenny Rogers sings Christmas carols. Don't care. Mm. Um, the soundtrack to Jesus Being Bored. Don't care. Like it's Vince Guaraldi for me, man. That um, so you got great the- film, great soundtrack. Yeah. I own the vinyl as well. Yeah, I I um I like this draft because uh, we highlighted uh, both films on both sides that I that I love. Yeah, there, there's not a film on the list that I go. What you like that film? I'm glad. You know, here's the thing. I'm glad that you got Elf. Um, I would like to have had Elf, but the fact that it's on the show and we're talking about it sort of signifies that it's in this group for a particular reason because Will Ferrell. Yeah. Uh, Dude, would this movie be as good as it is if anybody besides Will Ferrell was in it? I just don't think that it would be. Like it, he, it wouldn't. Yeah, and it, like he's so, just so good. So if that makes you feel better, that is the only reason I drafted the film. What I would replace it with are the the three trifectas of Christmas, which is the Rudolph, the Charlie Frosty. Brown, and you know the Frosty type thing. Um, I would definitely need to have. Um, Rudolph and Charlie Brown, and I would uh, and I would take them. Uh, I would take them over Elf. Like if to make Elf never exist as a movie, right. I would do that. Yeah, totally. Um, but I do love Elf as a modern Christmas classic uh, that could only ever be possible because of Will Ferrell. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, just for the record, my number five will be The Nightmare Before Christmas. There we go. There, there's Lord Marcus showing his colors. There's a brand for me. Yeah, excellent. Good for you. Tell me, tell me about this film because I do have friends um, that this is their Christmas film as well. But it always fits a certain kind of person, and they always have a specific relationship with this film. So tell, tell me about your relationship with this film. Again, an, uh, an opening night watch for me. Wow, at the theater. What um, year is was the release? For Nightmare Before Christmas, I was in the Marine Corps. It would have been... Okay, one second. Uh, I'll say... That, uh, so, about my relationship with this... About my relationship with this film. Yeah, so I saw opening night. Um, some of the things... 1993. Yeah, um, okay. So, I was stationed in Beaufort, South Carolina. Um uh, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, and that was my permanent station, and the Beaufort Cinemas is where I saw most of the great films of the 90s. Now, this uh, the, the thing about I love about this film, the excitement that was around it, so Tim Burton had done Batman, and I, I think that was at that point, uh, obviously Edward Scissorhands, and there was just this vibe about like if you wanted something weird nobody really knew about david lynch at this point like uh, 
like older people did and people that had the access to art house films did. Yeah. But for just general moviegoers, uh, except for Dune, there just wasn't the, there just was no access to David Lynch. So Tim Burton was where you went for weird, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, uh, Batman, Batman Returns. And these all had this vibe to it that was just, it was a little strange. It was a little peculiar. Mm. It was not predictable. It was funny, but it was dark. It was absurd, but believable. They had really interesting characters. He just had like everything about Tim Burton just screamed. Like he was in his prime at this point. And so he was doing this. Uh, everybody knew it was going to be an animated movie. And it's like, oh my God, we, uh, nobody at, at this age that I was, I was 20 years old. I didn't watch animation. I didn't care for animation, hated animation, even uh, unless it was a comic book. I loved comic books, but I didn't like <laughs> to go to the theater to watch animation. Yeah. But it was Tim Burton and all of it's like, uh, I couldn't tell you what it opened against, but we did that and loved every single minute of it. Like just the darkness of the story that it was just so un like it was more Halloween than it was Christmas. Like it just sort of that mashup of the ideas. It was just sort of challenged. And this is the thing I'd love. I love a challenging film that. Yes, you do. Presents you with an idea that you need to think about. And maybe even wrestle with and maybe even violently wrestle with and come to a conclusion at the end. And nearly everybody that goes through the battle is going to come to a different conclusion. And this is the type of film where I think that most people watch it are going to get a different, you know, kind of like David Fincher is like everybody like he's got all of these magnificent, you know, angles on him that people can enjoy. And this film is the same way. Um, Like it's it's not going to be in anybody's you know, greatest Christmas movie, number one of all time, unless you're like a gothic um, Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, um, black lipstick wearing emo, my chemical romance person. <laughs> that that, yeah. that might be your number one uh, Christmas movie of all time. But it really, like, it's gorgeous. It has a gorgeous story. And Tim Burton is magnificent. And his mind is magnificent. And the story is, um, you know, it's heartwarming and it's heartbreaking. Beautiful. Uh, I would I would watch it... Um, I would watch it three out of four midweek nights, and I might even watch it on a weekend. Yo. I might even, with the right person, go see it in a theater if there was a retro movie night. Retro movie night. Yeah, super- Christmas uh, edition. Super stoked. Uh, it, it, I suppose that for uh, particularly for uh, conservative Americans, it was like there was this idea of what a Christmas mo- an animated Christmas movie would be. And it certainly wasn't a skeleton. And so, like, I, I think that it, it wasn't massively successful because it was a little bit too challenging for uh, people that didn't know. At the, you know, you got to remember, like, in 1993, it, it, it was a different world socially, uh, particularly in movies. But there was still a lot of violent racism. Yeah. Uh, there was extreme homophobia. Uh, like, the way that it is today, where there's a lot more, like, it might not be 100% perfect for everyone, but there's a lot more acceptance than there was in 1993, particularly in America, particularly in South Carolina, uh, an extremely conservative state, um, particularly in a town that housed, you know, 5,000 Marines. It is like it was very challenging for a conservative environment. But um, I think the trend at the time was that it, it was everything was had to be about edge, and this brought edge. Like it, it was very edgy. Very edgy. Yeah. Loved oh, it. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Happy to have it on my team. That's a pretty excellent list. 
All let's, right. Um, let's go back through them in, in order from like, I would go from five all the way up to one. Like I'll go, uh, my list is the holiday at number five, number four, the Polar Express, number three, Elf, number two, A Christmas Story, and number one, Christmas Vacation. And for Lord Marcus, at number five, I drafted Love Actually. At number four, I drafted Scrooged with the great, great, great Bill Murray. Um, Number three, I've got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Number two, the Charlie Brown Christmas Story. Yeah. And uh, finally, to round everything out, A Nightmare Before Christmas by the most excellent Tim Burton. Excellent. Thank you for joining us this evening. The Film Dogs wish you a great night, great morning, great week. Uh, Happy holidays. Let us know what films you're watching. By the way, uh, before we hit hang up, I wanted to just leave an observation on the table. Observations being thrown. Christmas being originated from the birth of Christ. Hey, Zeus, shout out. None of the films that we drafted mention this. That's that's a great conversation piece for our other Christmas episodes. Right on. Peace be with you. And also with you.